I'm Seema Amble, Assassin Fintech Investor at Andreessen Horowitz. The number one question I get asked by early B2B fintech founders is, how do I acquire my first set of customers? As well as, how do I get my customers to trust me with their money? In my first 16, I chat with the founders of several prominent fintech companies and ask them about how they targeted their initial customers, what they did to win their business, and their hardest learned lessons. Today, I'm excited to chat with my good friend, Dmitry Dadimov, the co-founder and CEO of the payment operations platform, Modern Treasury. Dmitry and his co-founders started the company in 2018 after meeting at Lending Home, where they bonded over the desire to create a less painful payments infrastructure. In this conversation, we discuss the challenges of launching when you're creating a new category, hiring for marketing before you hire for sales, why developing new features is similar to, of all things, birding, and how most new businesses die not by homicide, but by suicide, meaning don't overthink the competition. Let's dive in. As a reminder, the content here is for informational purposes only. It should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. Dimitri, thanks for joining me. I'm super excited to have you. Excited to be here. Yeah, we'd love to spend time talking about how you found your first few customers, um, and especially in the context of category creation. Um, but let's start off by talking about you know the founding story of Modern Treasury and, and a little bit of the background from, from leaving Lending Home. Sure. Well, Modern Treasury really came out of uh, a set of pain points that we had uh, at Lending Home. So I was a product manager managing the um, investing side of this marketplace, and we had on one side, people would come and uh, apply to get a loan uh, for a kind of like a fix and flip renovation loan, and we would take uh, and you know approve some of those. Those would be you know, go on to investors. And on the investing side, we had to create a website that allowed people to open an account, you know, fund it, and then basically select uh, a number of uh, properties to invest in and basically build a portfolio of that. And so we kind of jokingly would call it ugly Airbnb because it was kind of like Airbnb, like in the user experience, but every property had water damage or had some sort of like issue with it. And so that was that was what you're investing in. So the um, underlying technology around, obviously, there's like a website and kind of a web flow and how does a customer actually get in and uh, create an account. But then there is the financial kind of money movement aspect of it, which was when we funded a loan, a wire would go out. When somebody funded an a, a account, we would essentially fund that deposit over an ACH debit or a, a wire that would come in. Um, and then every time that a borrower repaid a loan, we would take the ACH debit, split it up, send it to the right wallets, uh, do it all proportionally. There's kind of this um, crazy, crazy spreadsheet math that ends up being there. And um, that number of payments as the, as the as the platform scaled, became really, really crazy to manage, both in terms of the engineering challenges around how do you actually connect to the bank, how do you actually send. There was not as much uh, fintech infrastructure as there is today. Um, and so you kind of, everybody had to build their own connections. And I started running around asking friends of friends at different companies, hey, how do you guys do this at your company? And I would meet uh, a friend of a friend of a friend who finally would be like, oh, well, we have this meeting every Thursday and we do this like the same way, basically, where like a lot of people inside the company are building things one off and never have enough 
um, investment in that never can always have them to justify like why they need to go and do this at a slightly higher uh, quality. And it's one of these things that's really not core competency for most of the companies I was talking to. And so they couldn't justify the right like level of investment. And at the same time, it was like the same thing that they all needed. Um, and so that was that was really the origin of, of modern treasury. So in 2018, uh, my two co-founders, uh, Sam Aarons and Matt Marcus and I, left and started Modern Treasury, went through Y Combinator, and that was that was the origin story. So we were solving a problem that we had, we were solving a problem that we observed a lot of different companies had. And the solutions that these other companies had were uh, expensive and subpar. And so it felt like it was a place that was ripe for a new a new software product. Yep. So you experience this pain point, which is common, especially for infra companies. Um, and then you're like, all right, we're going to build a company addressing this and hopefully solve the the issue that other folks are facing at, um, at other companies. It's very similar. How did you think about, okay, here's the MVP that I'm going to build, um, given this pain point and it, and it uh, permeates you know, far across an org, what was the MVP and how did you figure out, okay, here's the, the, the initial product I'm going to launch? Yeah. So very early on, we, we knew because we're solving our own problem, we sort of had, a, we had some strong opinions. And one of the opinions that we had was that the, way, the only way to solve this problem was something that would bridge the technology and engineering and APD sides of the company. Um, and those teams really wanted APIs and webhooks and event logs and kind of these developer things. And at the same time, they were uh, working in a world that interacted with the financial system. And so they, these teams were building things um, and they're writing code that facilitated real money movements in the real banking system and they ended up in real statements. And so you had this whole host of other teams, uh, finance, ops, capital markets, et cetera, who were living in a world of PDFs and spreadsheets. And they needed equally, uh, that an equal claim to know what's going on. <laughs> um, and so, and those, those teams really needed a dashboard. They needed online kind of... Um, you know, user experience with a workflow. And so uh, the MVP really was a, an API to initiate and reconcile payments, um, specifically ACHs and wires is what we started with, um, so bank rails. And then um, a, a, a dashboard that showed you what was going on and allowed you to drill in and kind of click on things and actually see the details of different payments. Um, and of course, later on, started doing uh, actions in the dashboard as well. Um, and then finally, an integration to the bank. So you can think of it as like three legs of a stool. How do I connect to the bank? Do I have the backend kind of integration to the bank systems? How do I you know, surface that in a API way to the tech team so they can actually build that into the product? And then a dashboard for you know, all the different teams that are have to, having to reconcile, do month close, answer customer service questions about all of this activity. And... How did you figure out, okay, that was the set of features and this is the number of banks that I wanted to start with um, in, in like as you were getting this launched? Well, I mean, really it was uh, very customer driven. I mean, we basically started talking to uh, companies. We realized very quickly um, that one of the biggest challenges about this problem was not just the actual technology and the actual product experience, but it's also the level of trust that you have to have in outsourcing something like this to a third party. And this is something that is crucial to a lot of software products. But I think when it touches money, money movement in particular is, you know, because you have the finance org involved, because you have other teams involved, it's a very, very critical thing. Even if totally. it's not a core competency for the company, it's still, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's people are nervous uh, sort of having a three-person startup run that on your behalf. And so we sort of knew early on that we had to start with companies that would be willing to take that risk, and those companies would have to be startups. And therefore, we had to work with the banks that banked startups. Um, so not surprisingly, SVB was the first bank that we supported in, in, in summer of 2018. We started talking to a number of other banks because we saw a good number of banks in um, on the West Coast that would serve uh, various startups. But SVB was clearly the, the, first, the first one to go to because so many of the companies at the time were uh, going to them as a default option for startups. Okay, so you you know you had your your MVP from doing your customer research and and building, and how long did it take to to build an MVP? So when we uh, ended uh, when we wrapped up YC, we still were not live with our first client, and a lot of it was we had the MVP, so it probably took us about twelve ten or twelve weeks probably to build it, um, but it took us a while to to find the right clients and to actually go and implement it with their bank and bank account. So. Uh, it probably took us about 10 weeks to build the MVP in a functional way. And then, you know, it took us about five months total to go live with the first customer. That's a, a great segue into talking about your first set of customers. Um, so we'd love to spend more time thinking about, okay, you know, you have this MVP, you know, how did you think about approaching your first customers? And, you know, did you go through warm introductions, cold outreach, and, and maybe a little bit about who, even who was doing that outreach? Yeah, uh, all of the above is the short answer. So we were very focused on collecting product feedback and then aspirationally, hopefully, maybe one of these customers would sign. That's a little bit of how we thought about this. So we had um, we started out with really going after companies that we knew had this problem today and just to see, like, what is it that they have uh, to in, in, their, in their kind of toolkit today and do they have needs that our product would, would fill? Um, and so we would meet with companies that were like 300, 500 people. They probably had like a payments engineering team. It was maybe like a four or five person team. And so they, you know, they were kind of strapped and they had a lot of requests and we we're like trying to talk to them about what they could actually start using um, uh, from our toolkit, if you will. Um, that didn't really go anywhere. Like very quickly, we realized these companies would not, they would have too much inertia internally to actually sign up with a small startup. And so we started talking to much smaller companies, um, you know, three-person, five-person, ten-person companies who had not yet built a payments engineering team, had not yet built even maybe – didn't have a head of finance. They didn't have a, any of that infrastructure. And, and so for them, it was a much easier decision to go and basically opt into using like a new solution for um, – for their product. And so, uh, you know, our first customer ended up being uh, a mutual friend of ours and he was starting a new company and uh, he had, it was just him and his co-founder and I think one other person at the time. And they were really starting a new company that they knew they had to go build a money movement system for that was fairly sophisticated because of the nature of the product. It was a healthcare kind of benefits product. There's a lot of uh, money movement going on inside of those accounts, like every time payroll runs, they get funds coming in, they have to reconcile them, they have to kind of put them in the right reserve account for, you know, vision, medical, dental, things like that. So there's a pretty complicated kind of spaghetti diagram of money movements and reconciliations. And um, and so there was no question in their mind they had to go build something and they trusted us enough to where, like they said, okay, you guys can be our, our at least our early solution, we'll see if you scale. Um, and that was really put us in business this first customer was pretty small, right? And, and just getting off the ground. You know, we're going to focus on these, you know, seed series A startups as our first customers. And, you know, it, 
eventually work towards the aspirational customers in our from our research? Um, or were you just going off of you know whoever would take first few, the first conversation um, and and going from there? Yeah, there's some combination of there was some natural curiosity that we had about how certain companies were solving this. So we would reach out um, either kind of cold outreach or through some connections through, you know, other friends that worked at those companies or investors or like any other way that we had to go talk to companies that we were curious about how they were solving those problems. So that was a big, um, big aspect of this. Um, another big aspect of this for us was uh, we would just talk to any you know anybody who's been at other companies that had this problem, and then they would kind of say like, oh, you know what? Like my friend left such and such company; they're starting a new thing or they joined a new thing, and I bet they would actually have a use case for it. So that was like another big um, source of leads, if you will. Um, and again, um, so I, you know, I, I hesitate to say that we focused like in any way. <laughs> um, in, if if there was any focus for us, it was really around. Let's keep it broad. Let's actually learn about the shape of this problem across different types of companies, not because we're going to solve everybody's problem, but like we have to be aware. We have to understand the landscape and we have to understand the complexity. Got it. So it sounds like you were actually doing, continuing to do customer research even after you'd built the MVP and and you're probably still doing customer research now. We're still doing Uh, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And then how did you sort of distinguish the conversations you were having that were you know, research, you know, thinking, okay, this bigger global marketplace isn't the right, the right one versus like, okay, I actually really want to land um, this account. And I'm just, and the reason I'm asking is, did you have a different tenor of questions or sort of put different people also um, in front of, in front of the potential customer so it, versus the research conversation? It was just the three of us and okay. um, at this point. And so, you know, we didn't, we didn't put different people on it. Basically we took in the very beginning, and this is an exercise that I, I encourage any, any founding team to do. We kind of wrote out on a spreadsheet, like all the things that we had to take care of as a founding team, just like, Anything from like, you know, run payroll and do taxes to like set up the AWS kind of uh, instance to be able to do customer service once we have customers to 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 PR to like everything that kind of went into that. Um, and we just put a primary and a secondary and it doesn't matter on all of them. And so as an example, you know, uh, I was kind of the primary on like bank relationships and Sam was secondary. Sam was like primary, the technical kind of work with banks. Um, and, and, and Matt would put us didn't matter. Like he didn't, we could go choose what bank to work with without sort of, um, asking him. And similarly, Sam and Matt were the technical, uh, primary and secondary. And I didn't matter because like they could decide to go on AWS versus Google cloud without asking me. Um, so I think it like really sped up a lot of decision-making because we always knew like at the end of the day, who's the primary decision-maker on this topic and who's kind of responsible for it. Um, and so, yeah, like on the customer side, I mean, it, it wasn't really different people, but you kind of, there was somebody of the three of us who always had all the, all the conversations around a specific topic in their, in their head. And so we were able to distinguish, uh, which conversations were more commercial in nature, like which conversations had like a real pain point that was a pain point today that they were like looking to potentially to a third party to solve. Um, and very quickly it would turn into, um, you know, I think it was very natural. So, it, so maybe the answer is, yeah, it was a different uh, line of questioning for sure, but not like in a premeditated way. Um, mm-hmm. We would sort of lean into whatever it was that the custom, the prospect would like tell us. How did you think about 
building trust, you know, you're moving people's money. It's something that's high stakes. They, they don't want, you know, their money to disappear. Um, curious how you thought about building trust and, and, and getting these initial customers to trust you with their money. Yeah. I mean, pers- I think having a personal relationship is super important in the early days. I mean, there's sort of nothing else that um, can replace trust, like can can build up trust as well. Um, I, th- I don't think it's a, it's a, an accident that our first client was somebody that I actually knew from before, and um, I'd known I'd known uh, this person for quite a long time. Like we had a lot of um, prior history together that allowed them to kind of feel feel trust. And I remember it's also I think for something like an infrastructure decision. We always thought about it like, well, how, first of all, it, there's a technical question of like, can we solve the problem? But then there's a second question of like, can you solve the problem for a long time? And that's actually a pretty hard question to answer um, when you are an early, early stage company. <clears throat> I mean, it gets into funding. It gets into what reason does somebody else have to believe that you'll still be doing this five years from now? And you can, you know, as a founder, you can say like, well, I'm very set on that. But obviously, there's a number of other circumstances that have to come along that make sure that that's actually the case. And so, um, you know, it's something that you have to kind of answer forever. And every time we sign um, companies, they're wondering in the back of their mind, like, will you be around for a long time? Because they're making a bet, not just on feature and functionality, but also on like the availability of that feature and functionality over a long time. Um, And I think that's something that is particularly hard to do in a startup for for a startup in an infrastructure. Um, so a lot of it comes down to you know the cheat code, which ends up being like you develop a personal relationship. They trust you. They know that you're serious about it. Um, you don't do a lot of uh, pivoting and trying to like test out other business models, and you don't like notify them of changes uh, on, a, on a on a recurring basis that make them wonder like, are you actually going to be doing this? So I think there is. You have to have a lot of conviction that like this is what you want to do just at a personal level. That's actually something that you have to, you know, um, decide for yourself. And then you have to kind of stick with it so that they see like a mounting uh, campaign of signing new customers, adding new features, adding new banks. And that's a lot of what we did kind of later on when we started thinking about our brand and our kind of content and announcements and things like that. Um, more of like a, a strategy to build trust and build trust by really signaling the, how like serious and long term we were about this topic. That's a that's a actually also a great segue into talking about messaging. But it almost sounds like you were doing marketing back to your existing customers, so they were already your customer. But sort of the signaling of trust came through telling them, "Hey, we're we're becoming." Um, a legitimate company that has more customers and will be around. Um, did you think about it actively as marketing to your existing customers um, and like maybe celebrating wins or did it, did it just naturally come up in conversations that you had with them? I mean, we thought about it actively, not just for customers, but also for like, um, for like recruiting, for example. I remember, so that first company that I mentioned uh, was in healthcare and our first um hire, um, Rachel Pike, when she was joining, uh, she was joining from a healthcare company. And of course, we're like, we're huge in healthcare, like 100% of our business is in healthcare, you know? So, I mean, of course, you're always kind of leaning into the things that are working and you're trying to build up confidence. I think there's an element of, as a founder, I mean, doesn't really matter what product you're kind of in, you're always trying to build confidence across the, the ecosystem that like, 
your you know your customers feel good about your team your te- your your team feels good about your uh, your investors your investors feel good about your customers like all of that has to kind of work around you um, so that's very much a focus but um, but yeah I mean I think marketing when we thought about marketing what we thought about more than anything is like we're trying to create a category payment operations was not really a topic that people talked about obviously it was present in a lot of places but nobody thought about that um in a or talked about publicly at least in um in like a software category kind of way and so we kind of were focused on let's talk about what the common challenges in payment operations are let's talk about where where companies get caught Given that it's a it's a new category, how much did you have to educate potential customers saying, "Hey, this is this is a real problem that you need to solve with software," versus them thinking, "Okay, we have this process, but we haven't really put our finger on like, oh, this is a category that we want to buy software in." Yeah, it's not. Uh, I think we see this to this day. Like, I think there are different companies um, approach solving this problem in different ways. So the problem is not made up. The problem is a real problem. But how you solve it is going to be different across different companies. So there's going to be some companies that are going to be very engineering first about every problem that they see. And they're going to try to build and automate and build like the, you know, a, a technical solution even before they have any volume and any real pain. And you see that oftentimes with like, you know, engineering kind of founders who approach every problem as like, I never want to do anything kind of opposite by hand ever. Um, and there's other companies that are actually the opposite. They're very, very comfortable, um, you know, spending time on doing things in, in Excel sheets and uploading CSVs to bank portals and doing so on. And in some cases, you have companies that grow very large, um, in some cases for decades, and they're still kind of doing that. And so, like, there's definitely, like, an element of what has been the process that has worked for you for a long time. You understand how it works. You know how to train people who are, you know, coming into the organization and, and make them do that. And if you think about certain industries that are like have a lot of paperwork around them, right? If you think about real estate or healthcare, like you just you just associate those industries with like a lot of bills and invoices and paperwork going on. Um, that's very different from maybe uh, certain industries that have gotten a little bit more kind of they've gone through this digital transformation, if you will. But like the travel industry, there's not like it used to be travel agents, and they used to feel a little bit more like a real estate agents, maybe. And then all of a sudden, everything is kind of online. And so you um, you see these companies be a little bit more um, tech first. Uh, and so, again, from a product perspective, when I, when I wear my product hat, like one of the things that I think about is how do we make sure that we can serve both? So our product isn't narrowed to like one or the other. Like it's okay, you, you can build. So one of the design principles that we've had is everything we build is available in both uh, the API and the UI. And you can do things by hand or you can automate them. But there's nothing is going to be 100% automated. The world is going to be like at best like 99% automated. So there's always going to be one-offs and refunds and new things. And you, somebody is going to want to do it by hand. And so how do you make sure that you can build to kind of to both um, is something that's very important. So I think you can define your product in such a narrow way that actually it's not – it doesn't solve the totality of the problem. Um, and you have to be careful about that. And did you think about like consciously coining the term payment operations or money movement, or was that just sort of happening around you and you guys kind of grabbed onto those terms to refer to yourselves? Or like, how did you think about, you know, making, defining certain terms around this category that was emerging? Yeah. 
so <laughs> we shouldn't take any credit for it. Rachel Pike, who was our, the first person to join us, she's our CEO. She started out really focusing on brand and marketing, and it was really her um, conception of it as like, let's actually define how we talk about this so people know what they're buying. Um, and one of the side effects of category creation is that in the beginning, you're the only one in it. Um, so there's a there's a marketing benefit of being able to point to say, hey, we're playing this um, playing this game where there is a specific category. We're trying to solve this problem, and we're leading in it. Like, well, you made it up. Of course, you're leading in it. But I think it's something that is uh, an important um, thing to think about. Of like, there should be some place or something where you can tell a customer, sort of hand over heart, like, we're actually like m the most focused on this problem, or like the the best at this problem. Um, and so, yeah. So a lot of our uh, marketing, the way we talked about the company, the way we talked about the problem we're solving, we were trying to kind of drive this awareness of a specific problem that, again, it wasn't made up. Like the problem was very real. So we, we in a way, discovered it or like defined it in a way that others people didn't. But it wasn't like something that was, um, you know, we were creating out of thin air. It, like we would find, we would describe it and people would say, oh, yeah, we do have this problem. Like, by the way, that's what like, you know, these four people are doing that actually is payment operations and maybe you guys can solve that and you mentioned bringing rachel on um when did you guys think about bringing on your first go-to-market hire uh to help out and you know how did you guys think about marketing versus sales and and what to prioritize yeah we did not have uh, a sales team for a long time we kind of uh, invested more heavily in marketing up front and we brought and we got a lot of um, inbound leads coming from content, coming from bank referrals, coming from other activities that we're doing. Um, and so it really wasn't until probably two and two years or something uh, into the uh, into the journey that we brought on our first like dedicated salesperson whose whose kind of focus was on it. And I think the benefit of that is that. Uh, everybody in the company was selling in some way, shape, or form, and everybody in the company was focused on spending time with uh, customers or prospects. Um, and we really, again, we were not that focused. We were pretty convinced for good reasons or bad. We were very convinced that this was like a big problem and you could build a big software company in the space. So we didn't, we weren't in a huge hurry to get sort of the sales machine up and running because we really wanted to make sure the product was was good. And, you know, if you're looking at something like month close, like it takes a month to, to test it out. <laughs> Every month close takes a month. So um, it just in some in some ways, it's not a very fast thing to do. And, you know, you get feature requests from clients, you get feature uh, that feature requests for things that you want to like test with other people before you actually go like and, and fully kind of build them and endorse them, if you will. Um, so it takes a little bit of time. And when you say everybody at the company was selling, what does that mean? Does that mean everyone was in some part of the sales process or literally everyone was going out and trying to find referrals uh, to, to bring into the top of the funnel? Well, we would get an email from uh, some company that said like, or some friend of a friend or, or what have you, that was like, oh, we're trying to solve this problem. It seemed like you had a blog post about it. Maybe you guys can help us with it. It would figure out who's the right person. Um, some of our first engineers, would hop on a call with, with a client, with not even a client, with this like you know alleged prospect, and discover like what their problem was, and they'd come back and they would say, "Oh, we can really solve a problem for them. Let's maybe talk to them in a more commercial way." Um, and then I would get pulled in maybe, 
Or they would come back and say, huh, this is a problem we've never seen. Did you know? And then, you know, uh, our CTO, Sam, would open up the Nacha book to page like, you know, 527 and be like, I didn't know that. Uh, and so this, again, like feeds into the, the kind of the payments nerdery. But like, you know, we're trying to create a cluster of excellence around this topic that, again, like isn't a focus for any companies, but it is something that exists. And so you can, you can, there are touch points and you start having and start attracting um, individuals within those companies coming and talking to you about it. Cool. Okay. And then one other point you pushed on was, you know, strategizing and prioritizing feature requests. So, you know, back to this point around scaling, you've got your first few customers, they're probably giving you feedback saying, ah, I've got all these other things that are broken in my payments, uh, payment stack as well. Um, how did you think about prioritizing, um, feedback and, and then feature requests from there? So uh, I took a I took a biology class in undergrad that uh, I remember I, this one thing that stuck with me the professor was a big like bird like birding uh, hobbyist and he would always talk about how like if you think about all the species in the world b- birds are ones where like we actually know a fair bit to a certain degree of uh, certainty that we know all the species of birds because the marginal kind of bird that we're discovering is. Uh, is increasingly small and gray or small and brown. And so it's like it's harder and harder to distinguish between them. And so I think there's an element of, um, of, of insight in there around feature requests. Like when you get feature requests in the beginning, they seem to be kind of random and they seem to be kind of all over the place. And as you talk to more customers and you do more product discovery, you discover like more and more of the feature requests are like really small, are increasingly smaller changes from what you already have. And of course, you, you find you find completely new species and completely new things that you may not necessarily want to go build, um, and it's a conscious decision to to go into that or not. But in the in the narrow narrow area of what you're trying to solve, you do get um, a lot of similar requests, and that actually gives you a lot of certainty or a lot of uh, a lot of confidence that like if I build this, I will probably uh, build something useful to a lot of people because so many people have asked me for the same thing. Yeah, like you, you discover new features, you file them away perhaps, and you say maybe someday we'll go do that. Uh, but you have to focus on the things that increasingly look like the most boring new species of bird you've just discovered. And now, you know, modern treasury, five years later, um, the categories become much more established. How have you guys thought about changing the messaging or, you know, building trust you, do you have to do a lot of the same things or have you changed um, the way you're, you're doing that? We work with much bigger companies now. And so when you work with bigger companies, they have more defined ways of uh, quantifying trust and understanding like what does it actually mean? How do you think about, um, you know, whether it's uh, your, the way your customer support is actually uh, working, the way that kind of SLAs that you guarantee, disaster recovery, things like that which, you know, no startup is really going to ask you about. It's the same, it's the same fundamental question that they want to feel good about, but their approach to it is a lot more defined and explicit and um, comes from a place where they really understand the scale of their business. And, uh, and so you have, you have to answer those questions in a different way. Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's still the emotional piece that's being solved, but it's different ways of solving it, I think, as the, the company gets bigger. Yeah. And there's uh, a lot more the people involved. Gets yeah. And there's right. a lot more people. Well, so that piece becomes a lot, lot harder, too, is you have, to ma- you have to manage a relationship across a lot more people. How did you think about positioning via or versus the 
you know, the, the historical ways of doing it, which oftentimes is actually just really manual, um, or thinking about new competition coming up um, and, and, and how your, your product was differentiated. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really customer use cases and customer stories that I think tell the whole story. So when you actually are talking to specific customers, it's obviously always a good practice to find out what else are they have they considered or are they considering or is there something else that they could be doing, uh, and making sure that your product can stand on its own two feet and 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 win against that. Um, so I don't think that it's like a overwhelming focus for us. We've always been. Uh, of the opinion that if we build really good software for companies that are good businesses, uh, then you know we'll we'll grow with them and like it'll it'll all work out. Um, but of course, there's companies that are starting new things all the time, and we uh, you take a look at them and you and you look for things that make make sense that you maybe haven't thought about before and and improve your own product. It feels like you've been very focused on just doing the right thing for your customers in terms of building product versus spending a lot of time thinking about, okay, looking left and right in terms of, of who the comp- competition might be. Yeah. There's there's the saying that's a little bit of a, maybe a harsh saying, but there's a saying that, you know, companies don't really die. Very, it's very rare, at least, that companies die of homicide. They usually die of suicide. Companies usually mess up in some way that is actually just very internal. So when you read a lot of business books, I think people talk about like competition, but like the reality is when you think about the big crashes of businesses in the past, like couple of years, uh, it's all things that did to themselves. Like it's not actually the, it's not, it's not decisions that were brought on by like an evil competitor that look was just outsmarted them. It's like, no, you just did something stupid. So I think as a founder, you're like, how do I make sure that we don't do something stupid internally in our company? And as long as we deliver value and we get customers to use our product and we listen to them and we like fix the things that they don't like about our product, you know, it'll all work out. Got it. All right. Well, other than don't do something stupid, um, what advice do you have for early stage founders who are, you know, starting to, you know, starting their company, trying to acquire their first few customers, anything that you wish you had known uh, back then uh, that you would apply now? So I think we spent, uh, even though we, you know, we were mostly focused on product and, and, and usability, but we spent a lot of time thinking about like business model and, and, and pricing and things like that. And I almost think that, um, you know, I think it's maybe good to think about, to think ahead to like what might kind of be around the corner. But at the end of the day, I think uh, early stage founders think, spend too much time thinking about the business and not enough time thinking about the product. Um, I think that uh, the reality is that in the early days, like you don't, you don't know what you don't know about how people use your product. So designing like the right pricing levers or the right like way to think about the business is almost you want to have some confidence that like this product is useful and you could charge for it obviously if you don't i'm not saying don't charge anything because i think if you don't charge anything you you aren't discovering like the real willingness to pay and i think that's a problem but i do think that from like a from like a business perspective it is much more important for early stage companies to build a product that people love uh and then you can figure out how to turn into a business well, awesome. Um, Dimitri, thank you so much uh, for joining me. This, is, this has been great. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of great insights to share with our audience. Thank you. I'd like to close by thanking my guests for sharing their insights on finding early customers and building strong businesses. 
You can hear the rest of My First 16 by going to a16z.com backslash podcasts. And be sure to go to a16z.com backslash fintech for the latest industry-related content. There, you can also subscribe to our monthly fintech newsletter. Thanks for tuning in.